Jeez. Hey, cool, we're on. It works. It's just so good to be back in this room together. I know it was like a brief hiatus online for just two weeks, uh, but man, I have not missed sitting on Zoom. Uh, it's just so good to be back here and to see you guys here today. If you are joining us online this afternoon, uh, I hope that this stream serves you well, uh, but I hope too that it's not long before you're able to be here with us uh, at Oakwood. So we're going to be continuing today in our series uh, in Daniel, like Dave mentioned earlier. We pick up in Daniel chapter 4 today. And this passage, as we come to it, is, is actually something of a unique passage in Scripture. It, it's kind of a quirky one, and that's because this passage wasn't originally penned by someone who would be considered a Christian. It wasn't originally written by one of the prophets or one of the patriarchs. It wasn't written by an Israelite. It wasn't written uh, by a Hebrew. It wasn't written by anyone who would have been considered one of God's people, which makes it a kind of interesting and unique passage in God's Word. It's right here in the book of Daniel, yet it wasn't actually originally written by Daniel. And you'll see, as we read it, who first gave us these words. It's actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. It's his account of something that happened. That's what's kind of intriguing. We have this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian king who worships all kinds of foreign gods. And yet he wrote this chapter. And so let's read together and see what he has to say and how it applies to us today. So we're in Daniel chapter 4. Let's read together from Daniel 4 verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the words will come up on the screen, but if you've got one, I would encourage you to open it up and read along. So we're from Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God, that's the God we worship, Yahweh, creator God, the most high God, has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Amazing words. An amazing song of worship to God, to the creator, God. Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful, successful king, has a message that he wants to proclaim to the ends of the earth, that he wants everyone to hear. He wants you to hear today. And it's this message that God is great, that God is worthy of worship, that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, that the rule and reign of God will never see an end. Nebuchadnezzar has seen for himself something of the goodness and greatness of God. And now he says, in effect, I want everyone to know what I've discovered about God. He says, it seemed good to me to show what God has done. He's like, I've seen this about God and it's so good. I can't keep it to myself. I wonder whether you feel like Nebuchadnezzar today. What you've seen of God, what you know of God, what you've experienced of his goodness would compel you like Nebuchadnezzar to say, hey, everyone, listen up. You need to hear this. God is good. 
That's how it should be, isn't it? That those who've seen and understood something of the goodness of God want everyone to know. They want everyone to see. They want everyone to come and experience what they have experienced of the goodness of God. But what on earth has happened to Nebuchadnezzar to cause him to make this declaration? Because, I don't know if you remember, but the last time we saw anything or heard anything from Nebuchadnezzar was in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar built a massive gold statue and told everyone to bow down and worship that statue that he had set up, and that if they didn't, he'd put them to death. And you think, like, hang on a minute. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar was commanding people to worship a statue that he set up. He was playing God. See, in the dream that we read about that Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter 2, we read a really key verse, a really key line in the book of Daniel. And that is this, that it's God who sets up kings. So it's God who appoints, but it's this phrase, sets up kings. And then we read multiple times in chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden idol in the desert for people to bow down and worship. We're supposed to notice that and join the dots. God sets up kings and then Nebuchadnezzar wants to play God. And so he sets up something to be worshipped in the desert. He was proud. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the glory and the adoration of the people. And he was prepared to execute anyone who wouldn't worship his statue. And now, (laughs) in chapter 4, we find him declaring that God is the everlasting king. That it's him whose rule and reign will never end. It's him who deserves worship. What on earth could have affected this change in this proud king? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. Because Nebuchadnezzar is going to spend the rest of this chapter telling us. Let's read on from verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. (laughs) I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar, in letting us know what's happened here to cause him to turn to God in worship, tells us that he was chilling in his palace. He was living it up, but he had a dream that troubled him. Now remember from chapter 2, dreams were hugely significant In ancient Babylonian culture, they thought that dreams were a way that the divine was trying to communicate something to them. And actually, Nebuchadnezzar was right about that. God was speaking to him through his dream. In chapter 2, and again now, God was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar through his dream. God can and does speak through dreams. I'm not saying every quirky dream you have is a message from God. Please don't hear that like if you go to bed tonight and dream something really wacky you're like what is God saying to me like God can and sometimes does speak to us through dreams we need to be aware of that right but like don't try second guessing every quirky dream you have as though it might be a message from the divine (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar though was alarmed by this dream he he like he didn't kind of dream it and go, hey, that's a good one. <laughs> he, was, he was worried by it. And so he invites his wise men to come in and tell him what it means. And it says here they can't. Or his account of things is that they can't. Now, 
when you hear the dream in a minute, I think you might be just as skeptical as me about the wise men's inability to interpret the dream. Because I think it's pretty obvious. And I think they knew exactly what it was about. But it wasn't a particularly pleasant message to deliver. And I don't think they fancied being the ones who were going to bear bad news to Nebuchadnezzar. Because they've seen him throw guys in a fiery furnace for not doing what he wants. They already heard his decree earlier about the dream, that if they couldn't tell him what it was and what it meant, he'd kill them all. Now this time he hasn't said, I'm going to put you to death if you can't tell me, but they know this guy's got a temper. They're not going to want to tell him what this dream's about. I think it's pretty likely they could see what it was about. But they didn't want to bring the news to him. In fact, actually, I think it's quite staggering that Nebuchadnezzar was blind to the message of this dream. When we read it together in a moment, you think, like, really? Did you really not get what that was all about? Did you need someone to explain that to you? We're going to come back to that point later, because I think sometimes we can be more like Nebuchadnezzar in that regard than we are prepared to admit. But let's read on. Verse 8, at last, Daniel came in before me, who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. It's interesting, this is where Nebuchadnezzar's up to at this point in the narrative as he retells who he's worshipping, when and why and what he's like. He gives us Daniel's Babylonian name, the name they'd given him. They named him after the god Bel. And Nebuchadnezzar freely admits at this point, he's he's named after the name of my God, the one who I worship. The one who Nebuchadnezzar was worshipping at this point was Bel, not Yahweh, (laughs) not the Lord of Lords, not the one who he began with a song of praise about at the start of this chapter. He's named after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, Oh, Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. In spite of the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is worshipping Bel, not Yahweh, at this point in the narrative, he knows that Daniel can tell him what his dream means. They've been here before. But he also knows why. Because the spirit of, the, of God, of the holy gods, as Nebuchadnezzar views it, but really of God, is alive and at work in Daniel. Daniel was at pains to tell him in chapter 2 when he interpreted his dream. He's like, it's not because of me, it's, it's God at work in me. It's God's power. It's not that I'm anything special. Nebuchadnezzar's grasped that. He knows about Daniel. Daniel can answer his dilemma here. He can tell him the meaning of his dream. And the reason Daniel can do it is because the power of God is at work in Daniel. There's something that should strike us as odd about what's just happened, though. And if you picked up on it as we read through, right, Nebuchadnezzar's got a dream. He wants to know what it's about. He's troubled. He invites in first a whole load of Babylonian wise men and magicians and all these guys who can't or won't tell him what his dream's about. And then eventually... Daniel comes in. But Nebuchadnezzar says, I know that Daniel can tell me. So you think, why is Daniel the last one on the scene? What's going on here? Why is it at last Daniel came in? Why not at first? If you knew he could tell you what it meant, why not go there first? It's interesting, isn't it? It's a weird thing to happen. It should strike us as odd. He knew Daniel could tell him, and yet Daniel was the one who was brought in last. 
Nebuchadnezzar and those around him left the holy God as the last resort. He knew Daniel could give him the answer and he knew by whose power Daniel could give him the answer. But he didn't want that. He was going to try everyone and everything else before turning to God for the answer. How often can we be like that in life? Like, we want to fix it for ourselves. Like, we want to be the answer to our problems. We want to find the solution. Something we can take credit for. We'll try anything and everything before turning to God who can actually do something about our situation. I think we can be more like Nebuchadnezzar than we like to admit sometimes. Anyway, at last, Daniel's there. And the king proceeds to tell him the dream. Let's read from verse 10. The vision of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw... And behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. This is a really stunning picture, is it not? You think, man, this tree is impressive. This is quite something. This is a tree that the birds of the air and the beasts of the field find their shelter in. That's so abundant in its fruit that the peoples of the earth are fed from it. This is amazing. Whatever it represents is pretty spectacular. We carry on. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Interesting, this, this tree's cut down, but it's not completely destroyed. The stump is there, the roots remain. Let him be wet. Interesting, all of a sudden, shifts. We might get an idea what this tree is, or maybe who this tree is. So we find out here with this change to him, this is a picture of a person, a man. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. We get our first strong clue as to what's going on in this dream here. See, to begin with, we're thinking this tree, this incredible tree might be a a kingdom or a nation, some kind of kind of enterprise that's bearing fruit and benefiting all the peoples. But then it shifts and we find out this is a actually about a man. Let him be. Let his portion be. Let his mind be. But who? Who could we have come across in our story so far that could be likened to that great tree? Who have we come across in our story so far that is impressive, that has an impact on all the nations of the earth? Who could it be? I wonder, I wonder if you've got any thoughts on who it could be. (laughs) We carry on from verse 17. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know the most high rules, the kingdom of men 
and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. He's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I know what this is about, (laughs) and it's not going to go down well. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, I can never say his name, for I just get tongue-tied. Let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Interesting. The king's like, I I just want to hear it. He can see Daniel's troubled. He doesn't want to tell him what it means. And he's like, look, don't don't hold back. Give it to me. I want to know. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He's like, this is not good. Like, it, it isn't about your enemies, but I wish it were. I wish it were. Daniel is apprehensive about delivering the interpretation of the dream, but he goes for it anyway. And we get to hear what it is now from verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O King who have grown and become strong. Your greatness reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. If you hadn't guessed it yet, the tree's Nebuchadnezzar, this mighty king who, at the height of his powers, ruled over so much of the peoples of the earth. The Babylonian Empire at this point was vast. They conquered all in their path. You think, so far, so good. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, that great tree, it's you. That impressive tree. Your greatness has grown. You're strong. Your rule extends to the ends of the earth. But the dream doesn't stop there, does it? (laughs) Carries on from verse 23. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Oh man, this has taken a turn, right? But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. That's just seven years. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. It's like God is speaking to you, Nebuchadnezzar. This is what is going to happen to you, which has come upon my Lord the King. Verse 25, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know heaven rules effectively Daniel says Nebuchadnezzar you're going to get driven away from your throne and out of polite society It's not going to go well. In your pride, you're going to be cut down. And you'll be like a wild animal. Lose your mind. There will be a complete and utter fall from grace, Nebuchadnezzar. Total humiliation. 
but it's for purpose. It's to accomplish something. I don't know if you noticed that this humbling of Nebuchadnezzar was to accomplish something. As we read, it says, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know heaven rules. So it's not going to be taken away altogether. Actually, your kingdom will be restored to you when you know that you are not God, when you know that you are not the be all and end all, when you recognize that God is God and you are man, that it is him who sets up kings and kingdoms and you bow before him instead of commanding others to bow before you. When you humbly recognize that God is God and you are not, your kingdom's gonna be restored to you. See, this Painful humbling would be for purpose. And with that bombshell ringing in the ears of the king, can you imagine like receiving that kind of news? Where someone came to you and they're like, look, you're going to lose everything. I don't know, I know most of you, what you do for work and your positions. Maybe one of you, you someone comes to you and they're like, hey, God says... Basically, you're, you're proud. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your home. You're going to lose everything. But the good news is, it's so that you'd be humbled and you'd recognize that God is God and you're not. But you think, huh? And while the, <laughs> the kind of news of this is ringing in King Nebuchadnezzar's ears, Daniel moves on from the interpretation of the dream to give him some advice. See, he shifts now from simply telling him what the dream's about to give him some counsel, and it's good counsel. Verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel's like, this dream is a warning. It doesn't have to pan out like that. Repent of your pride. Be humble. Stop sinning. Stop placing yourself as God in this story. This is wise counsel, right? It's good advice from Daniel. God gives a warning in the dream, and Daniel says, don't be stupid enough to ignore the warning and keep going in your pride. Stop playing God, Nebuchadnezzar. Recognize that God has given you all you have. And be generous. Show mercy to the oppressed. Nebuchadnezzar is called in this dream and by Daniel to to recognize that God is in control. And to receive God's grace. How does Nebuchadnezzar respond? Let's find out. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Right. (laughs) That means it happened. (laughs) So it didn't go well for him. (coughs) Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Oh dear. A year after hearing this warning, Nebuchadnezzar is at the height of arrogance, the height of pride. You think, man... Did he not listen? He looks out from his palace. He's had plenty of time in 12 months to respond, to repent, to change, to humble himself before God. But he hasn't. We find him looking over his kingdom. And what does he say? Look at all this. (laughs) It's brilliant because of me. That's effectively what he says. I've built it. I've done it. 
I'm amazing, and because I'm so amazing, I've made all of this amazing, and all of this is here for my glory. That's the tone he's sounding. I built it by my power, for my glory. Nebuchadnezzar has not learnt at all. He wants the glory and the adoration. He's still playing God. He wants the credit. He believes he's in control. This is all a result of his magnificence. This is the root of sin. Responding to God, saying, shove off God. I'm in charge. No to your ways. If you've heard that before, it's quite a helpful way of remembering what sin ultimately is. Saying, shove off God, S, I'm in charge. I know to your ways. It's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. And it's how each one of us can be inclined to behave and think at times. Let me read from verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth. Like at that point, surely he must have gone, uh oh. <laughs> While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time, that seven years, shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. This is not a pretty sight. Nebuchadnezzar went mad. He lost his kingdom and for seven years he was shunned. Nebuchadnezzar had refused to hear the warning and now he faced the consequences. But notice again, he's reminded why it's happening. Even as it happens, we hear again that there's purpose in it. Nebuchadnezzar, this is happening so that you might know that the most high rules, rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar, this is happening so that you would learn that God is in control, not you. So that you would recognize that he's God and you're not. And just as God's plans always come to fruition, this accomplished its purpose in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Because we read from verse 34... At the end of the days, those seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. It's like he finally came to his senses. And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar realizes God really does rule and reign. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. God does. Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Nebuchadnezzar turned to worship God and God restored him to his throne. And he concludes, I love this conclusion in verse 37, this. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise 
and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. It's like, finally, Nebuchadnezzar gets it. Instead of asking people to extol and worship him, instead of believing that he is the one worthy of the praise and adoration, instead of believing that the world revolves around him, it's like he suddenly gets it. He says, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. He says, I might be a king of a great empire, but compared to him, I don't even come close. For all his works are right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Speaking from experience. (laughs) From one perspective, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar could seem cruel, couldn't it? We could kind of read it and think, wow, that's a bit harsh. But it was the kindness of God. Nebuchadnezzar was proud. He'd cut himself off from God. In his pride, the message of the dream wasn't sufficient. He could have accepted that message and responded, but he continued in his pride to to reject. And so God, in his kindness, humbles Nebuchadnezzar so that he might see things as they really are, so that he might turn to worship God. See, God was much more interested in God's glory, which he won't share, but also in Nebuchadnezzar's good than Nebuchadnezzar's immediate comfort or happiness. And God is more interested in your holiness in your standing before him than he is in your momentary happiness and sometimes God will allow us to go through things that will humble us that will cause us to turn to him that will cause us to lean on him instead of trying to be self-reliant or leaning in our own means and ability instead of trying to earn our own way to him he will bring us to a point of recognizing that we cannot get there on our own that we are absolutely dependent on him that we need him and that might be uncomfortable but it's for your good just as it was for Nebuchadnezzar's So how does this root in your life today? I guess I want to ask each of us to consider. Can you at times be like Nebuchadnezzar? And there are a few ways that I think maybe we can be. See, the first is that I think sometimes we can be too proud and blind in our pride to see the issues in our life. See, all of us have blind spots. Like, I don't want to kind of break it to you today (laughs) but you've got blind spots other people will see things in you that you can't see in yourself because we can all be a bit like Nebuchadnezzar it's like Nebuchadnezzar with his dream it was obvious (laughs) like he should have known what that was about he was a smart guy I think sometimes there can be things in our lives that are obvious, but our pride, we just don't see them. And actually, we need to pray like Psalm 139 that Dave quoted from at the start of today. Search me, God. Know me. Test my thoughts. Test my heart. See if there's any offensive way within me. We need to be people who humbly pray in that way. Lord, I don't want to be doing things that dishonor you. Search me, know me, test me. 
highlight to me if there's any offensive way in me. But we also need to surround ourselves with faithful friends who won't duck it like Nebuchadnezzar's advisors did, but who will, in love, speak the truth to us. That's part of why the church exists. <laughs> that we can speak truth into one another's lives. That we can encourage one another. That we can be accountable to one another. We're not trying to go on our own. But we're alongside others who love us enough to speak into our lives where we've maybe got blind spots. We need faithful friends who will help us to address pride and sin in our lives. We read time and time again in Scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's essentially what was going on with Nebuchadnezzar. And sometimes it can be what's going on for us. So perhaps there's a warning for you today, just like there's a warning in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And the truth is, there'll be a day when it's too late to heed that warning. But that day isn't today. Seek him, whilst he may be found. Jesus, on, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's those who know they need God, those who know that they can't do it on their own, those who know that they need forgiveness, those who know they need a savior, they're blessed. Not those who are proud and self-sufficient, who think they have all the answers, who've got it all together, but those who know everything they have comes from his hand of grace those who know that they need a saviour don't be like Nebuchadnezzar stuck believing you can do it on your own it's foolishness we need to come to him humbly and receive his grace but the other thing Nebuchadnezzar needed was to come to him humbly and recognise his provision that it was God who gave. See, I think we can be tempted to survey the scene of our lives like Nebuchadnezzar on the roof of his palace. As he looked out over the empire and said, this is amazing. And it's all because of me. Look at all of these wonderful things I have. Because of my power, my intellect, my ability my glory equally I think some of us can look on the scene of our lives and we can do the, the flip polar opposite of that we can be like this is all horrific and it's all because of me because of my failings because of my this because of my and as we do it just like Nebuchadnezzar we place ourselves in many ways, in the position of God. We need to recognize his provision. That attitude should be one of gratitude, a, a humble thankfulness for that which God has provided and a generosity that flows out of that. Rather than standing and going, look at all of this that I've accomplished, that I've got, that I've earned for myself. when we think in our pride that everything we have is because we're so brilliant what that often leads to is selfishness tight-fistedness but when we recognize that all we have is bountiful provision from God then we're much more open-handed and much more generous with what we have so that was the call to Nebuchadnezzar in the first place wasn't it it's like repent Turn from what you're doing and be generous towards those you're oppressing. It's like recognize that all of this isn't because you're so awesome, it's because God's been very, very kind to you and that should cause you to be open-handed and generous to those around you. 
So we recognize his provision and receive his grace. Nebuchadnezzar had to go through an incredibly profound, humbling experience of having everything stripped away. Guys, the truth is that in the end, when Christ returns, no one will stand. We'll all be humbled in that moment. In the end, everyone will bow the knee when Jesus returns. And I want to say to you today, don't wait until then though. Because that moment for some will be like Nebuchadnezzar's humbling, but infinitely worse. It will be too late. See, those who bow the knee to God now, who humbly confess that he's Lord, who find forgiveness for their sins in him now, will gladly bow the knee on that final day. Yeah? See, if, if you're here today and you know that in Jesus your sins have been forgiven, paid for in full at the cross, then, then we willingly bow the knee to him as Lord now. And when he comes in glory, we'll willingly bow the knee, gladly, knowing that perfect peace is ours forever, knowing that we'll be with him in paradise forever, in his presence, knowing him fully as we're fully known by him. It'll be a glorious moment. We'll bow in worship and adoration, knowing no fear of judgment, because Christ has paid it all. No condemnation, but pure, unspeakable joy. those who persevere in their pride now, those who refuse Jesus, who reject God, who, I don't, I don't need a saviour. Like I'm just fine on my own. Thank you very much. They'll bow too when Jesus returns. They'll bow in worship and in all. But they'll also know the horror of judgment as they realize the weight and consequence of their sins. I don't know where each of you stands today. But I do want to remind you of this truth. God is God and you're not. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that the hard way. Don't wait until it's too late. Come today. Find forgiveness. Know that you can stand before God. Conscience cleansed. Sins forgiven. That you can be welcomed into relationship with Him forever. Finally, there's one last point of application for us. I think sometimes we can be a bit like the wise men of the court. See, I don't buy it for a minute that they didn't know what the dream meant. They were not stupid men. They were very smart guys. They, they were the elite in the Babylonian Empire, which as we've already said, was a pretty big deal at that point in history. but I think they were too afraid of Nebuchadnezzar to give him the message he needed to hear in order to respond, in order to be saved, as it were. And I guess I, I think sometimes we can be afraid to share that message with people in case they reject us, in case they're offended. What do you mean I've fallen short or I've sinned or I need forgiveness what do you mean I'm a good person See, it was for Nebuchadnezzar's good 
that he heard the message. Even if he didn't like it in the short term. Your friends and neighbors and colleagues, family, they don't need to be bashed over the head, but they do need to hear from someone who loves them and wants the best for them. They do need to hear that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That those who come and ask for forgiveness will find in him forgiveness and fullness of life. They need to hear that all, including them, have fallen short of the glory of God, that they have sinned and that they need a savior. They do need to hear it. It's for their good that they would hear this message so that they might be able to respond, so that they might, like you, come to a place of knowing the joy of their sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, that they can have the sure and certain hope of glory evermore with him. That they would be able to join like Nebuchadnezzar in that song of praise that he both began and ended this chapter with. So I want to encourage you to resolve like Daniel out of love to tell them. Actually, the message is very clear. This dream wasn't complicated. The gospel isn't rocket science. I guess my question is, are we going to tell people? Let's stand together. We're going to respond now just briefly in prayer, and then Joe and Amya are going to come and lead us in one final song. Dave, I wonder if you could come and lead us. Thank you.